Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Paula Price Show, where you can experience scripturally organic, culturally unmodified teaching, get answers to your questions, and receive powerful prayer from your host, Dr. Paula Price, author of the Prophet's Dictionary. Tune in now and get ready for an exciting time of encouragement and transformation. Welcome your host, Dr. Paula Price. Paula Price Show, I'm Apostle Ashley, and we are kicking off today letting you know why you want to share this broadcast. Today, Dr. Price is addressing the suicide among pastors and what is going on behind the scenes, devils, all of it that's motivating that. And so you want to share right now, tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell your enemies, just tell the world that we will be addressing today about suicide among pastors. <clears throat> but first, we have a few announcements. There are some amazing things going on in our world here. If you're in Tulsa, Oklahoma, I want to let you know or the surrounding areas that on Saturday, not this coming up Saturday, but the following Saturday, the 21st, right here at Price University at 1 p.m., Central Standard Time, because we are central. We are having a community opioid workshop, and I want to tell you what that's going to address. The Paula Price Success Center, first of all, if you hadn't noticed, Dr. Price is just without end (laughs) when it comes to spinoffs and branches and expansions. And so we have expanded Price University, and we did this uh, some time ago, and have opened up the Paula Price Success Center which is where we house all of our resources for the soul of success, soul healing and deliverance, is in the success success center. Through that branch, we present to you this. We're addressing opioid overdose, understanding the role of prevention and safe solutions for storage and disposal. In this workshop, you'll learn safe solutions for opioid storage and disposal, awareness of the risks of opioid use, and restoring your life through education and advocacy. I know we have a guest speaker who is coming in from the community, a professional, to address these issues. I love having Price University, the Success Center, and these uh, types of organizations because we can reach into the community, reach into the world outside of the congregational element and context and still touch lives, still heal souls, and, and do that outside of the church without compromising why the church exists. I think this is how a lot of organizations have gotten into a little bit of trouble, is they have these ideas, they have these contexts, and instead of branching out, they modify or change the church's purpose. And so we expand, and we build on, and we add to without crushing and then demoting and uh, apologizing for what we consider to be the church's shortfalls, we should touch the community. Yes, open up a community center. <laughs> Don't shut down the church. Don't change the church for that. Have that thing separately. So we have Price University for Education. We have the Soul of Success Center, the Paula Price Soul of Success Center for your soul to become successful in dealing with these very real subjects. Opioid addiction now is not a subject that is brushed under the rug and only talked about behind closed doors. The statistics are staggering. 
especially in our country, from street drug addiction all the way up to the opioid, opioid addiction in the street drug form and in the pills and everything else in between. And so we will be dealing with that. I love our success, and we will be hearing from Prophet Mai McCullough today, correct? Yes, we will. All right. Excellent. And she will talk about that. This is not just her passion. It's not just her hot button. It is her profession. And why, again, I love Price University, and what we do here is we allow opportunities for your profession as a Christian, as a prophet and apostle, to still touch and reach the community and the world for those curatives, as we've learned about, the soul curatives, taking that from what we think is a religious concept into a tangible, measurable outcome. I'm excited about that. Next Saturday here at Price University a Community Opioid Workshop. We are connecting with our community. We are reaching out, making phone calls. So people know that we are here for this. I tell you what, in today's society, you have so many options. Sometimes you have so many options, you can't see the options that you have. Mm -hmm. And so we're still doing that. Social media is amazing. It is great. But stats still show us nothing beats hand-to-hand, face-to-face, putting mailers in the mail. People want paper. (coughs) Excuse me. So we are doing that next Saturday. Hold on here. All right. Also coming up, and this is a great connection for what we're talking about today. (coughs) Our near summit is in November, November 20th through the 23rd, Rise of the Mighty Ones. This is where we are. This is what we face. This is us taking the lead. Rise of the Mighty Ones. It's time for the mighty in God. Okay? Because the devil is, he sent his mighty one. But it's time for the mighty in God to rise collectively together to combat the darkness. June kicked it off with the prophets. And November with the apostles, we're going to go to the summit. That's why it is a near summit, New Era Apostleship Restitution Summit. We're going to take this to the high places where all of this began anyway. <coughs> we saw with Elijah and um, Mount Carmel, the showdown. High places. Everything is still in the high places. So you want to go to Dr. Price's website, www.drpaulaaprice.com, and and look at the information under events for the summit this year. (coughs) Excuse me. For the summit this year, because you want to be in Tulsa. You want to come back. If you are here in June, people are already registered from June. They're like, no, I have to come back. Bringing bigger groups. You've seen the pictures. There are still more pictures from the event that will be circulating so you can see, even just see, what we do here at our event. <clears throat> what makes them different? We're not just a conference. We don't just come and confer. We don't just talk and make ourselves feel better. We are challenged. <clears throat> we work through issues. We address and confront issues, and not just in a ranting format, because that's not what we do, but going to the historical backdrop the spiritual backdrop. What can we do as Christians? What can we do as apostles and prophets to really turn this back and be Acts 26, 18 and bring God's people back to him? How can we do that? These are things that we usually resort to saying, I'm just going to take to God in prayer. Mm-hmm. 
I will I praise. And and this is a shock to when you realize your prayers are not enough. If that was the case, Jesus would have started a prayer ministry. He would not have established apostleship and uh, put the prophets with them and then establish the ecclesia if all we needed was prayer. Prayer is a kickstart. It's a starting point. It's a resource. It's a weapon. It's an ongoing utility that you never put down. But it is not the totality of the plan at all. Jesus did go and pray, but then he had to do some things. And so we go and pray, and one leads to the Lord, and that's why we're in shock when we realize, wait, I'm going to have, I'm going to, have to do something? But what if the enemy pushes back on me? He's already pushing back on you. I mean, look at where we are in our world right now. Doing something, not doing something. He's doing what he's doing, what he always has done. <clears throat> Do you want to be here? Uh, again, November 20th through the 23rd. This is going to be an action-packed event. Praise and worship from our Near Global Worship team. We have our Dignitaries Dinner on Wednesday night. We kick it off. This year, we are not having a commissioning ceremony. We don't have a class that's been commissioned this year. That'll be next year. However, we are recording a live praise and worship concert uh, in the evening, on Friday evening at our event. <clears throat> and I'll tell you what, I already, you can already sense the excitement. You can pick it up in the spiritual realm that God is excited. He is pleased. And when he begins to move his forces in, on what we're doing that you know it is not just going to be a high time. It is going to be a life-altering, life-changing time. What I love about our events is even when our guest uh, ministers and speakers come in, they're blessed. They give prayer, ministry, they get their own deliverance. Shocker, unexpected, because usually when you come and minister somewhere, you work, you leave, that's it. And if you're struggling, you're going to leave with the same struggles in which you came with. If you're pressing, you're going to leave under the same pressure that you came with, but not here. <clears throat> Dr. Price did an early birth special. She popped up out of nowhere one morning before, before morning, no, after early bird sunrise prayer, but before morning worship. She came down and laid everybody out who was in the room. Now, we make no promises that that will happen again. Although this year, folks probably going to be in that room like an hour, <laughs> just in case, just in case. I'm not going to be the virgin without my oil. Talking about, oh, no, I missed it. I missed it. Ah! <laughs> you know, and that was it. People were flying in that room when they found out. And she was late. People, when I tell you people are still talking about Dr. Bright, and, you know, especially these tall gentlemen. Yeah. You don't understand. Dr. Bright laid me. Oh, I do understand. I was there <laughs> laughing. Because you were in shock that you were going down, and she just, whoop, okay. But I tell you what, she was wrestling with those things. That's why I love our events. You just don't know. It was the first for me. She hadn't done it before. I got the call. She's coming down. We all going down. <laughs> Be ready. Be ready in season and out. And I tell you what, years ago the Lord told me who I called you to be, you're never out of season. So that you never have to guess if you have to be ready. You just need to always be ready. I said, well, you know what? That that solved a lot of issues in my heart. <laughs> and I'm always ready. And then uh, Sunday's message, pedigree versus mixed breed Christianity. Woo! These are my sermon notes from Sunday. This audio is available online for you to purchase and download 
Next week, you will have the option to start ordering CDs and we'll ship them to you because some of you have already reached out and said, well, how can I order a CD? So if you do want the CD, you will have that option to order the CD. But now, I know this might be obvious, but the CD won't be downloaded to you. It'll be sent in the mail. And we have to say that because sometimes people order tangible products but still expect it somehow to show in, in their email. Okay, so that'll be in the snail mail to you, regular mail. Uh, FedEx or whatever we use, uh, USPS, sending it to you. So you have the download option and then the hard CD option. We have our Saints buying both. So right now, Sunday sermon is available. The edited sermon is available for you to purchase $10, download, add it to your library. Again, it is pedigree versus mixed breed Christianity. Why do you want to purchase the CD? Hey, I'm already watching it online. Yeah, well, you know, they're not always going to be up online, first of all. And secondly, the uh, quality, the audio quality, because this is the microphone right in line to the sound system, the audio quality. So all of our comments you'll hear less of. <laughs> you'll actually hear more of the message and less of us falling out about the message. It's, it's great. I love listening to it coming through my truck or in my house or wherever I am in the office editing. You want that CD quality. Also, you can save data, you know, streaming if you're using your data. That's a lot of data in the streaming, and we're going live like all the time around here. So what did she talk about in that message? Something she highlighted, we cannot make you decide to have a winning attitude. I'll tell you what, if you just pause and take inventory on how much of your language communicates losing and not winning, and I'm not just talking about blatant, I'm a loser, that's obvious that we would all see that, but the sentiments and the attitudes about bailing out, not conforming, not rising above, not, not joining the team with what we're doing, all of those things speak to a losing attitude, and you don't even realize you're a loser, you don't even because in Christianity, so much of what we say is denying who you really are. And all I know is I'm blessed with the Lord and highly favored. Okay, that is a problem. But is that actually where you are right now in your life? You know, so many things that we have just been taught to say, rhetoric, repeating, 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 that actually have had very little value uh, in our lives. And she also said that we are addicted to whining about our flaws, falls, and inferiority. I'm hurt. Look, I already, was there Sunday I was hurt? It hurt me the second time editing, and now reading it again. Addicted to whining. How do you know if you're addicted to something? It's your go-to. That's why you have to be hooked on Jesus, because he needs to be your go-to. It's your go-to. It's your default setting. It's your default phrase. It's your default mentality. Anytime something pushes up against you, this wall up comes up. That's when you know you are addicted to that. You're addicted to your flaws. You're addicted to falling behind. You're addicted to your inferiority. And then this is when you really know you blame the system for making you feel that way. No. She also said we must uphold what God does in our lives and not go back to the garbage and recycle our sins. My God. That's something right there. I remember, I cleaned up where I said to a prophet in training, Norma, 
as finding the lies in people's stories, even if they don't know that's what they're doing. If the Lord is the fall guy, as soon as I did this for God, really? And what else? And what else? What else? Something else is going on. Because many times we put on forbearance obeying God. We put it on deferment. We talk about hope being deferred, but can we talk about deferred obedience? We put obedience on deferment. We put it over here, put it over here, put it over here, put it over here, until we say what? I just didn't have a choice anymore. I had to do it. Life just didn't give me a choice. And unfortunately, by the time you get there, it's a hard road to obey God versus doing things in the windows of which he told you. Just a side thought, when in thinking about Dr. Price's sermon, and how you have got to own up to your contribution in your trial. You have to. Because the Lord cannot be the one to blame for everything that doesn't go your way. That just can't be it. He's the hero when it comes through. He's the villain when it doesn't. And we're just here along for the ride. Not so. I mean, come on. We, we, we sound like Adam in the garden. It's that woman you gave me. All of a sudden, all of God's perfect creation is now his fault. We're still there with the Lord. There is nothing new under the sun. Pre-fall sun, post-fall sun. <laughs> okay, and she said, when you run from God's faith, all you have is Satan's unbelief. Say love. When you run from God's faith, all you have is Satan's unbelief. You really don't think about that, that you're switching out. Did God really say yeah, I, I don't even, well, I just, our memory is faulty. We'll say God said something. That's not, that's not exactly right. Is that exactly what he said, or is that kind of what he said? Well, I got a word, and God told me to do this. How exactly did he tell you to do that? Well, I mean, he said, no, 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 how exactly did he say it? We remember even what God said to us in kind of sort of roundabout ways. Dr. Price is very fussy about how people say what she said. I have inherited that chip. Right, AIT? I have inherited that chip. Don't say what I said. When those, first of all, those words didn't even come out of my mouth, much less that sentiment. That, that might be how you felt about what I said. But don't say that's what I said. And that's what we do to God. We will say how we feel about what he said as though that is what he said. And then we act on our feelings and not facts. And then we get in a little bit of trouble with him in that. Because the Lord, you said, and what did he say? I never said that. I did not say that. I said this. And you felt some kind of way about what I said. And then you did that, saying I told all kinds of things. And we, Dr. Price has taught us as prophets and apostles, having the truth on the inward part. You must walk in the spirit of the truth. And the biggest challenge is that emotional truth. Man, whoo, how you felt? How did you really feel? And, you know, we can't write on our feelings as a gauge for what we do, but as the bedrock of your decision-making are your feelings. So if you're not truthful about that, not truthful about what you relay, then everything else that you do has the potential to be contaminated. And you know, when people meet you, 
how they have a relationship with you. Well, you know, I mean, they're really sweet. I really love them. They have a good heart and everything. I'm just not really quite sure I understand that. Well, you know, I mean, they said, they said everything was fine over here, but then they acted like nothing was fine later. All of those things, and especially as women. As women, we are taught to just be emotionally messy all over the place. Just, you know, my emotions all over, you know, I just, and I just, and I can't help, and then you're on the ceiling, and you're on the floor. You're on the ceiling, and you're on the floor. You're all over the place, and that's our badge of femininity. Lord, help us today. Deliver us, oh God, from that nonsense. But that's not the mind of Christ. And he didn't say men put on the mind of Christ, and women be emotional. And he didn't say women put on the mind of Christ, and men be men, whatever men are attributed being. He didn't say that at all. That's a universal thing. And so she talks about faith is more than a mechanism, tips, and techniques. And we really have brought faith down to mechanisms, tips, and techniques. Do these five things to boost your faith. I mean, people have built entire ministries and organizations on simply faith. And faith, you know, simple, not simple. Just that one lane right there. And over and over and over and over and over again, just how to make your faith a technical thing, how to make it a technique, how to make it a tip. I thought that's something. And she said that uh, Abraham's faith comes with the born-again package. You have to go back, even if you were in church on Sunday or watching on Sunday, and listen to this message without distractions. I was talking to somebody, I think it was yesterday, about the benefits of going back and listening Oh, no, it was you. It was you that I yeah. Uh, listening to these messages uninterrupted. Because right now, so many people are at work. Sundays, if you're, especially if you're watching at home, you have this going on, that going on, popping up, jumping up, even in church. We distracted each other, falling out all over the place, all over the world. Okay, <laughs> you're in it the first time. But going back, with that uninterrupted, undisrupted time and taking the due diligence to be a student of the word, to be studious in our salvation, to work our salvation and work it in our souls, work it through our spirits. That's what it really takes to be a good Christian. How many times have we heard Dr. Price say, have we heard Dr. Price say, recently, I didn't get saved to be bad. And we don't think that we're bad Christians, bad at being saved, bad at being Christian, bad at being redeemed. Because we've been taught, you just say the prayer. You just say the prayer, and that's all it takes. And I say this in my classes, I say this on my show, that's like saying I took a shower this month, I'm good. One shower. No, you about, you're good to be by yourself in a minute. No, it's not just once. Because why? You keep getting dirty, skin keeps dying and flaking, we are deteriorating, and all that has to be washed off constantly. And so with the Word, we have to do that too. Always be washing our souls. Always be scrubbing down. A little exfoliation, I don't know, let's exfoliate the soul a little bit. Get all these flaky, sinful things off. Let's bring up that pretty skin, the, the pretty soul that's somewhere in there that only God can redeem. We need to exfoliate the soul. Mm-hmm. Detox. Yes. I say you are. Uh, you want me to turn on? No, goodness. Now what? We want to hear you. Is that how? Yes. Yeah, but, and we need to scrub, scrub it up, scrub. Oh, yeah, you know. go all the 
just love this man. You know, and, and, and those of you who, who follow me on Facebook, you know, like people can't tell you I did certain things because you're like, no, that woman is too yoked up, choked up, hooked up with the Lord Jesus Christ. And if I try, he cuts up. You know, you don't give Jesus something and then decide it can't happen anymore. He said it is a sin to bow something to God and then take it back and then regret it. Some of you all took back your kids. Some of you all took back your faith. Some of you all took back your money. Some of you even went so far as to take back gifts that you've given the church. And, then, and nobody told you that. And if they did, you wouldn't believe it because, let me tell you, any spirit they can talk you into reneging on your word to God owns you, has control of you. And God has very strong feelings about that. Part of why people keep thinking that, that God has, doesn't have any reaction is because God has to weigh his options and weigh his ultimate purpose. So when God deals with your ulterior, he has to do so from his ultimate purpose, which means if he put you on the planet to meet a certain person, to start a certain thing, etc., if he does that, then he's going to set your sin aside. He's going to archive it. That's what we talked about last week. You should listen to last week's broadcast. He's going to archive that incident until you are no longer vital to what he wants to get done, which is why he can give you all of these great blessings and all of these accoutrements, etc. when you're young. And then when you get old, he doesn't care about how, whether or not you're in a nursing home. I said, and many people, but I served God well. No, you didn't. You emptied out what God put in you, but you did not serve God. You served yourself. But God, everything about God is encoded with a harvest. Everything of God is encoded with a harvest. Go back to these soul bites, B-Y-T-E-S. They're all cellular. They all have a world in them that's working itself out and uniting itself with the other bites. So when you think about the soul, one of the things that God has blessed me with, and I'm, 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 I'm literally... Stunned, to be honest. I think my people are stunned, too. But I am literally stunned at how deep a revelation and how um, specific, you know, how nuanced the revelation of the human soul has been granted to me. And it's a gift. And God talked about it, I don't know, three, four years ago, five, six years ago. And he told me, he said, you don't know men's soul. He said, I give you the gift of knowing the human soul and comprehending the human psyche. Well, you know, when you're in prayer, you come out of prayer, and then all of a sudden, the Holy Ghost shifts your capacity, changes your own psyche, and he flips it into his own. He said, my file, I'm telling you this for a reason, my file on the human soul has now become your file. And ask my people, they were just as soon as me not have lunch with them than for me to be sitting in front of them talking about their soul. They'd be like, God, Christ, we love you, dear. However, could you just send it to us in a text, a brief? <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to put you out. And, 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 and it's more than knowledge, and it's more than anointing. It has become, literally, it has become a profound, deep, 
penetrated faculty, which is what you all heard on Block Talk when I was taking calls. And it's like, all of a sudden, what God knows, what God sees, what he understands about the human makeup, about a soul in distress, a soul in a God, what God knows, he has now given me access to know. And I think, and, and not just know it, I write it. Do I not write it? They have pages and pages and pages of text because it has to be outfit, because God has to replicate this. You know, I don't think of this as an exclusive anointing, an exclusive uh, capacity. I don't. I think of it as myself being the, the groundbreaker to shift the modern teaching on the soul to life instead of death. I got to get some. Because I said, oh, shit, it won't show. You know? Because that's our problem. That is our problem. And so in a few minutes, I'm going to get into my whole subject because I want to talk about this young pastor advocating mental, advocating for mental health, what died by suicide, all right? I want to talk about that. And see, I'm, again, I am an apostle. And any apostle who buys into this foolish rhetoric is apostle of darkness and not light. Because there's no way in the world you can say in him was life and that life was the light of men. Then you can't say that. Nowhere can you say that Jesus is the light of the world and the life of all flesh. You cannot say that in him is life and there's no darkness at all and believe in suicide. You can't have it both ways, people. You cannot say that Jesus Christ, according to Paul's words to Timothy, brought Life and immortality to life. That's a powerful statement. That's powerful. But if you sow to the flesh mental health, you will up the flesh reap corruption. Because the mental is the flesh. So I'm going to talk about that. And I'm going to talk about it in ways that I pray those who are involved in this industry for the Lord Jesus Christ. Because, see, there are messages of death and there are messages of life. Oh, I wish I could. Mm. Ooh, Jesus. I, uh, I, mm. see, because the Bible says, he who is often rebuked and hardens his heart, cruel angels will be sent unto them. God says when we move into rebellion, messengers of death. Anybody understand? See, so you have to look at this thing not as that, that God has totally indulged people according to the failure of the flesh. Because that's what this is. He, he can't do that. He can't. And he's shown his power over it. There's no way in the world for us to, as Christian ministers, and Christian leaders to consider suicide as a God-approved method of escaping our sorrow in this world. See, because God doesn't run on the, heart, on the mind. He runs on the heart. Bible says wisdom enters your heart and then flows to your mouth. So what we have to look at is what God is dealing with. Because 
man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. See, God's a heart man. Oh, somebody's going to catch this. <laughs> He's not a head man because he knows that if he does the heart right, the head will follow. Because out of the abundance of your heart come murders and thefts and crimes and all those things. Out of the abundance of your heart comes your evil thoughts. And we think evil means just strictly critical. Not that it means damned and doomed. I'm having, did you all bring coffee? Because y'all going to need some coffee today. Y'all bring a cup of something? Y'all got some tea. You got some water. I'm, I got my cup of something here. And so what I'm waiting to do, because I think that this particular broadcast should be uh, taped. If not, I'll just have to do it again. But what I'm waiting to do is to get our, our camera, which we usually don't use, on um, Thursday, but to get our camera so that this is recorded for class, because we do have this biblical psychology program where I, I handle all of that. I was going to say, is there a, is there a 3D book around? I used to have one in here. Ah, oh. hey, 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 secrets in the attic. Have 3D? Thank God for secrets in the attic. Let me tell you, I've um, I finished. I just finished a class that um, I finished a class that will be for leadership, and and it's called. It's based on an article I wrote called "Now That You Are a Leader." And one of the things that I I feel I have discovered. I won't even say feel. I have documented proof um, that people lack is soul health. And the reason we lack soul health because we feel like our soul has no part in the matter until it, so it leaves our body and enters God's world. And when it does, it's God's responsibility. God fixes my soul when he gets there, when I get there, when I get to heaven, when I get to, you know, out of this body. But I want you to understand that your soul is the part of you that came to the planet in the breath of the Almighty through the breath of the Almighty. God breathed your soul into your clay corpse on earth. Now, that's, that's a big statement, which means you can really, we can talk about that. We can go there. So, but God breathed your soul into your body on earth. Not in heaven. In heaven, it was you, literally fused with your spirit. On earth, it became fused with your body. And your soul is what gave your body life and animation. Oh, by the way, did you tell people that I'm, that I'm on right now and that they don't want to miss this? You don't want to miss this. This is, this is really amazing. And it's going to be information that you need because a lot of you all are counselors and therapists and and trainers and coaches and mentors. And I tend to draw those kinds of people. Many of you all are thought leaders, and, and, and not only thought leaders, you're thought shapers. More than a few of you are policy makers. And so 
This information is going to help you who are representing Jesus Christ, the God of life, and not the billions of deities of death that have flooded our country from other countries. That's just what that was like. Did you all think that was like? That's what that was like. You know, and so later on, we're going to have Prophet Mark. Most of you all know her from Mental Health Monday. So I figured the guy is a man who is supposed to be advocating mental health guys by suicide. I need to know where the breakdown is. Because there's obviously a breakdown, and a breakdown that the industry either tolerated, overlooked, or did not recognize. Because this is a blow to me, for to mental health and mental health industry. I mean, I consider it a, a real black eye that you have this guy of this in this base the article mega church. Mega church. Anybody hear mega? Mega means big and a lot. <laughs> and then the church doesn't know oh come on somebody. Are you almost there? Because you know I'm getting excited now you're moving too slow. Amen. I'm trying my best. But anyway, while we're doing this, I need somebody to step it up. When I'm when I'm broadcasting, I need swiftness. Hallelujah. Swiftness. So, but uh, but I want to talk to you. In, in addition to that, I would like to invite those of you who are in, who are new to leadership, who are responsible for uh, bringing people into leadership. I'd love for you. To, I'd love to invite you into my private leadership class. It is private. It's by application only. You must be accepted because, well, we need you to be real leaders or really on course for leadership. So I'd like to invite you to enjoy, uh, to enroll in my class and to be part of it. It's not a large class. I'm not looking for hundreds because if that's the case, I'm going to have to schedule them again and again and again. But I would like to invite you to be a part of my class where I, um, okay, where I develop an amazing workbook on now that you are a leader. So I'm going to read some of the titles and subjects so you'll understand the discussion. And so the first one will be Ministries New Debt. And it talks about how ministry of yesterday, yesteryear is no more. And then it goes to how we got here and God's response to where his body and his kingdom is. We're talking about the wisdom that those who appoint leaders, leaders to position. This is called leadership, appoint to wisdom. And then how God proves and prunes leaders. Like this kid wasn't pruned or proven, clearly. And then there is a section called the self-celebratory leader versus the self-deprecating leader. And then we go on about initial reactions to your leadership, how long they last, who the real culprits are, how to strategize and how to counteract people's displeasure over your eyes. Big deal. And then leadership is so much more than paperwork and techniques. She talks more materially uh, 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 coming on about leadership, 
not be about technique. Everything that we teach in the church is about technique. It's either the body or the spirit. It's never the soul. Never the soul. It's either the body or the spirit. And then um, there are various activities, theories to practice, knowledge transference, functioning in your new position, reasons leadership promotion changes must be, waiting on, working on your spiritual wisdom and intelligence, various learn to lead exercises, okay? And then there are a couple of things here I think you would love. Uh, I did, I called it the human capital C-suite, the letter C, human capital C-suite. And then wisdom pact, there's a wisdom pact that every leader has. Can we tap into it? Do you know it exists? And then here's something you'll love. Be different to become exceptional. Because if you're like everybody else, you don't stand out. If you don't stand out, people have no reason to think that you have any more to offer to the world than they do. And then I have a section in here called the currency of positivity. And then earning trust and sustaining it. And then it closes with personal leadership, leader self-regulation advice, and then it's all about adaptive changes and how adaptive changes are different from shift changes because transitional change and adaptive change are not the same. I think that by hearing this, you've already got a taste of what this work does, and I just want to just share a little bit with you so that you understand that because, you know, if I'm a teach class, it's not going to be Monday. If I'm going to teach, then we're going to learn and you're going to read. So this is an immersive training process that melds readers' interaction with this discussion and instruction. It does so by tasking them with educated regimens that call upon them to use what they learn properly. Material is seg seg uh, segmented for training to engage with pivotal portions of the content. Moving on, the final effect is synthesized enhancement of new leaders' ability that aids their orientation and persuades them of the unmitigatable changes they must make to succeed. You have got to change. And we talked about that when I introduced this. Instructors learn how important it is to measure performance and the attributes that provide benchmarks for qualitative service. You know, in the church, we don't have benchmarks. We don't like measurement because we call them judgment. Who is it a judgment? And we don't even think about quality. Okay, with this is a broad range of learner comprehensions that fill in gaps that, met, that may trip new leaders up down the line. Also, there are the indications that lay the groundwork for a creating accessible criteria to gauge learner and trade trainee subject matter intake and output particularly effective um, for seminars, workshops, modules, and similar knowledge cultivation and retention venues, now that you are a leader, is adaptable. It can be modified to fit any other setting where new leaders must be orientated to their new world. The intelligent approach articulates apparent and nuanced areas and issues that cannot be easily taught or stressed during the formal readiness process. Did that speak to you all? And so, overview. In the way of a summary, this tutorial's topic speaks to those just entering the world of leadership, regardless of organization or sphere. It contradicts the notion that leadership is little 
perfect leader to the realities that await them as, as newcomers to the world of leadership. Most notably is the reality that leadership imposes changes that alter the way the new leader lives, works, relates, and interacts with the old and the new world. The leadership state is addressed in detail, pointing out the differences that impose change. Now, there is more for you to get, but I just wanted you to understand this is a practical class that engages your entire being, requires you to absorb by more than your memory. So I, I wanted to say that or remove them. All right. So I'm going to go on because I don't like this. Now, in introducing, in introducing our subject, we have this very brief book that Prophet Maud loves called 3D Soul Restoration. And it's called Taking a Soul from Distress to Success. People fail, people get sick, people die because of soul distress. Now, it might be interesting for you to think of this as just another way of saying psychological distress, but that's not what this is. Psychology treats the soul very differently than its maker. So you need to know that. Remember, the soul that sinned is Shaddai. But David also says, the maker of the soul is the only one that can restore it. Said, but he restores my soul. Now, this is from a man who was literally brutalized. He was betrayed. He was cheated. He was defrauded. He was hunted. He was literally, um, literally marked for death. Everything but assassination happened, and that's only because the assassinators couldn't find him. This is a man who was who had a wife that couldn't stand him. Literally, couldn't stand him. He was on the run, all over the place. He did not get credit for what he did. He could not get credit for what he did because he's king's son-in-law. You know, many people don't realize David was Saul's son-in-law. We kind of don't think about that. We think about David with the kid in the, in the castle. But he was Saul's son-in-law. He was promised all sorts of rewards for his efforts and got none of them. And while he was on the run, he had to reinvent himself from a peasant son-in-law into a future king. And what did he do? He found purpose and value in his struggle. He was a man of integrity. He had the raw equipment and the raw talent that God needed him to have to become his future king. And God put him through brutal, brutal training and vetting and proving. It was brutal. He had to leave his country because he was exiled and pretend that he was an assassin, assassinator for another country. He had to live by his wits all the time. And while he's doing this, he's amassing a 
an army of 600 soldiers and their families. So now he's got the added weight of being able to feed them and take care of them. So when you want to talk about strength, I need you to read Brother David. Because we haven't had that kind of stress. We cannot say that we don't understand it. In the middle of it all, the man is babbling. I mean, he's warring again and again and again. He's warring. I mean, literally. And not like us up in the air shooting down some, some missiles. No, no. He's on the ground in combat. He has wounds on top of wounds on top of wounds. Why? How do I know this? Because he's saving one song, but my sword are just incurable. He ate at night after warring all day. Physical combat, mental combat, psychological warfare. Because the sitting king was determined that he would not be his replacement. You understood that? And so when you think about how hard it is, I say to my people, and I teach them all the time, you can measure your destiny by the degree of agony that God puts in your training. Your destiny is in direct correlation with your divine purpose and ultimate entry into that purpose. Uh, is this speaking to you all? It's, it's important. You know what I'm saying? It's very important that you recognize it. So if you are always battling money, you need to know that God's going to use you to handle great sums of wealth. Because God tries you in the area, he will use you. So if you're battling uh, uh, friendship, God's going to use you in the area of relationships. If every time you turn around, you are facing calamity after calamity, and no matter how well you do, it just keeps happening, I want you to understand that you're marked to be a miracle worker. Because every time you conquer what the enemy throws at you, you not only defeat him, you step up to the next level. And so you, by elimination of your adversary, are ascending to your predestined place. I got a cell, I got a cell. Yeah, I got a cell. See, God told me that. He said, so do you think I'm just being cruel? I said, well, God, actually, I, I don't know. He said, I am preparing you for every adversary that you will have to face off in your seat when I put you there. And I had to live that. I'm telling you, that you should, we need to change our narrative and change our explanation to people who are in trial. See, that faith thing was wonderful. We needed faith, but it went so far as to disqualify your perseverance, as to disqualify your resilience, as to disqualify your endurance, as to disqualify your stamina, as to disqualify your patience, as to disqualify your obedience, and any doctrine that disqualifies the natural and inherent essential virtue of our earthly existence is not of God or it went off course. You lost your children, and they told you it was because you lacked faith, not because God had a better reason. 
And I can tell you those reasons, but this broadcast is not for this. I'm just saying. I want you to hear me. So if you are having a difficult time, if you battle sickness, that means you're going to be a healer. But it has to start at home. Because if you don't persuade yourself and persuade those in your world, you will never have access to the masses. Because your strength grows, the spiritual strength grows the same way physical strength does. Repetition, drilling, drilling, exercise, repetition. And repetition. People watch me today. As a matter of fact, uh, PIT Norma is my attendant, my everything. She just helped me out. And so she watched me before the show of the broadcast this morning, and I wanted to finish off something in a book. And she watched me out of my head, typed almost uh, one and a half pages. She's still shaking her head now. And I just typed. So she said, That's fine. Are you reading that? No. I'm thinking it, and I'm writing it. Why? 75 years, I've become a master. And I gave myself to it. See, most of you all escape, you evade, you dodge, you drop out, you fall out, you flop out. And you never become the master because God is the God of masters. He's the master maker. He wants to win. And if he has ordained for you to take over any aspect, see, we don't teach you powers any longer. We don't teach you strength. That's what we're going to talk about in a moment. We teach you how to surrender to your circumstances, submit to the trial. And there are times you need to do both, but not passively. I never submitted to a trial passively. I always knew that Sorrow would endure for a, a night, but joy comes in the morning. I knew I had a morning coming after this dark night, and I did not lay and languish in the darkness of night. I worked. They'll tell you, I worked. I wrote, I built, I planned, I strategized, created, invented, you name it, because I refused to think that what I had to live through defined what I was on the planet to do. You couldn't convince me. I said this before, and I'll say it again. In 1997, I had a uh, radical hysterectomy, and it was bad. I couldn't heal, whatever. And you know what I did while I was recuperating? I sat up and wrote a book. And I, had, I did it to dump that pain and dump the soul pain that came from it. Because I knew this was temporary, but everything I was going to do for Christ was going to be eternal. And I wasn't, you know, even now, they'll tell you, I'm like, I ain't letting them devil have this. No. Mm-mm. And I walked through my head, no. No. Because I'm the chosen one. And if I'm chosen, then I can't let you win. I'm chosen. You understand? I like being chosen. There are people that say, yeah, but I didn't ask for this. I may not have asked for it, but I adapted to it, and now I love it. I'm chosen. I am the one for what I'm called to do. No one else. I'm it. And it's up to me to guard it. It's up to me to keep it. It's up to me to perfect it. I am the chosen one. I don't let devils think their choices are my options. I don't let it. I won't. I don't care if I, I can have a bad day. It's only a day. 
and it may not be the whole day. And in the midst of it, I'm still doing my job. I'm still praying, taking calls. I'm still ministering. I'm praying for folk, interceding. I'm sitting there talking about, can I, can I hate Jesus? But you know what? I know that sometimes it's a warfare, and sometimes it's a pronouncement. God is sending something great down the way. The devil wants me to laugh into unbelief and miss it. See, I see positivity in my trials and tribulations, and that's what we have got to start teaching the body of Christ, that this has a purpose and, and, and a purpose for your future. God does not have lame, indiscriminate, foolish trials. They, that's why they trials. So you're always trialing your future. You're trialing your destiny. Oh, somebody's going to hear this today. So, yeah, because we all come to God's soul sick. But she's like that. Because all of every soul is sick with born sick. Because the souls are born to earth, to fallen, to devil. Remember, even every one of our souls. The problem is that we've allowed egomaniacal folks to tell us that is not true. Instead of facing the truth and doing what you do with everything else, learning how to work it out, how to purge your soul of its flaws and faults and failures, it's weaknesses and it's errors. You know, the Bible says we, well, who can know their errors and faults? God has to reveal them. But instead, we have been trained and pacified into placating to our weaknesses and then praising ourselves for placating to our weaknesses. When I watched a Reddit article online where it said that now, um, I don't know, I think the California, I might be wrong, but now the children can wake up in the morning and say, I don't feel like it, I feel my soul, I feel trouble, I'm emotionally off, and they can stay home. I thought somebody at the top needs to sit down and wonder what devil is taking out our future. Because no matter where you go, everything is about the weakness of the soul the weakness of the emotions, the incapacitation of our emotional selves. And I'm not doing it. I'm going to tell you right now, I am so not doing it. Because I'm going to tell you, the only person, that's a propaganda, and it's a propaganda machine that we have bought into psychologically. And as far as I'm concerned, the whole field has bought into the propaganda machine to literally dissimilate the United States and its population. And I'm not doing it because when God comes on the scene, strength comes. All right? So anyway, this is the book that I, I, I came up with, and I, and I have a section in here that I think that I hope it's in here because uh, you know what? Mark probably knows it inside and out. Mark, Mark, I'm on it. Oh, got it. Look at that. It was in the table contents and everything. <laughs> I just want to... Uh, I just want to uh, read this one section. It's on page 47 if you have it, and it's called The Compulsory Plight of the Sorrowful Soul. The mysterious villain in most addictions is Pope the First. A lengthy discussion unmasking this culprit comes later in your deliverance process. However, at the outset, you should know, uh-huh, Addictions mask sorrowful emotions that treat
free soul damage with compulsory acts or behaviors. When the cause of the pain is not delayed hope or constant disappointment, but rather the result of a trauma or abuse that seeks to be relieved, deferred hope may be strictly tied to the need to relieve the soul's ache that comes from, excuse me, to cease relive, reliving the ordeal that caused it. If your memories change, or if your memories are quarantined, you have a hard time being addicted. Hallelujah. Notice for the use of the word, I guess I better go on and act like I'm sitting, bro. How about this? Notice the use of the word release instead of heal. This alteration is because it's deliberate to differentiate the temporariness of addiction from the permanence of deliverance. Remember, this distinction as you go through the 3D process. You should know emphatically that the two are entirely different with the word permanence being the determining factor. When the soul, when soul damage is caused by an assault, abuse, or trauma, the answer to its anguish is some kind of obsession. A fixation or fascination is born out of a despair initiated by some or many disappointments. It is true that everybody, everyone has some sort of obsession that helps them temper soul pain and manage life's upset. It is when the obsession consumes the thought and drives the impulses to oppose your well-being and fruitfulness in life that they take on an unhealthy effect. In this case, they inhibit your free will ability to function as required and instead compel you to focus on things detrimental to your personal security or stability. As far as God is concerned, they go right to the, to the heart's archive, that place where sorrowful memories related to unsettling issues and incidents are cataloged and submerged. Some of y'all may not have this book, but I'm sure that Prophet Maud will talk about it. So moving on to what, why we're here today or what I want to cover today, I've already introduced us, so we got we thought about that. But I want you to see this is the world's answer and explanation. This is an article um, by uh, Lady Gaga and Tedros Adam. What? Adam? I'll get it. Maybe they'll write me and tell me. But this is their answer, and I'm gonna. Then we'll get to this article. Suicide is the most extreme and visible symptom of the larger mental health emergency we are so far failing to adequately address. Stigma, fear, and lack of understanding compound the suffering of those affected and prevent the bold action that is so desperately needed and so long overdue. Now, I don't have the article, so I can't tell you what the bold action is. I'm sure it'll show up somewhere. But that's the world. And see, that's based on the, the soul being exclusively in the mind which is why they consider soul sickness and mental health hand in glove. Not that the mind is a part of the soul. We talk about that in our Soul Sunday classes. The, the whole entirety of the soul contains every immaterial version of the body's makeup, organs, 
The body is the soul's chief. And the soul, as an interface, plugs into the, its organic version so that the body operates. That's what happened when God breathed into man. So that the body gets its information from the soul, which is why I know, right? Because, see, your body goes to the depth. So clearly, there's a big difference between mental health in the flesh and what the heart is sending to the soul as mind. Big difference. So your mind is pulling from your heart, and your brain is pulling from your mind. So your brain can function healthily, but if, if, if its influxes and secretions are off, it's going to tell your body to do things that are destructive to you, counterproductive to your life. You need to know that. See, so this, what, what they're talking about, that, 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 that's some fallen devils they, they don't know, and they don't really want to fix it because devils, fallen angels don't want you healed because if you're healed, they're evicted. So there's always an ulterior motive, and there's always a major player that is providing incentive for mental health disorder. Now, are you saying to me, Dr. Price, that it's not real? I am not. It is real. It is very real. But you understand, invisible viruses take out human bodies. And they're real. Now, you can't see them. And sometimes they can't even find them under a microscope, and yet they're dying. When we talk about flu, we're talking about breath. These things are breathing on us. So there, there is that. There are, and the Bible says that we were born of Psalm 58, 3. We were born as liars and led astray. Now think about a baby lying. No. Mm-mm. But the faculties that are going to grow up into adulthood will not be true. So when you think about it, this is it. This is what God is doing, and this is what we teach and what we've been working through. So you have got to break that belief that the mind and the brain are literally flip sides of each other. They're not. That's why you can you can wipe out the brain and people can still feel. Now they can't tell you what they feel. They can't let you know what they think, but they because that faculty is gone, that organ is gone, but they can still feel. And why am I saying that? Well, let's go to our young man's article. The article is L.A. Times 9-12-19. On Monday afternoon, Jared Wilson, a pastor at Riverside Mega Church and the founder of a mental health advocacy group, took to Twitter. Loving Jesus doesn't always cure suicidal thoughts, Wilson wrote. Loving Jesus doesn't always cure depression. Loving Jesus doesn't always cure PTSD. Loving Jesus doesn't always cure anxiety. But that doesn't mean Jesus does not, doesn't offer us companionship and comfort. He always does that. That night, I guess the companionship and comfort didn't go to distance. That night, Wilson, 30, killed himself according to Harvest Christian Fellowship where he was an associate pastor. He was vibrant, positive, huh? Where's positive? He was vibrant, positive, and was always serving and helping others. Greg Warby, the church's founder, wrote in a statement, 
Jared also repeatedly dealt with depression and was very open about his ongoing struggles. So was he positive or was he depressive? See, we speak a lot of contradictions because we're afraid that when the real life happens to Christ's people, that we have to somehow do damage control for him. He wanted to especially help those who were dealing with suicidal thoughts. Tragically, Jared took his own life. See, he wanted to help, but it wasn't a purpose. It wasn't a driving purpose. Because if it had been a driving purpose, he would have stopped thinking about himself and think about how he can help others with what he's going through and living. Because that's what happens when you want to help others. You push back on everything that wants to infringe or impinge on that purpose. That's purpose-driven. He was not purpose-driven. He was experiential living. He lived his experience, and they were bigger than his life. They were bigger than his reason for life. Wilson's passing on Monday followed the death of Andrew Stockland, the 30-year-old pastor of Chino Mega Church, Inland Hills Church, who died by suicide last August, a few days after preaching a sermon about his own struggles with mental illness. Both men left behind a wife and young son. After Stockline's death last year, Wilson treated so sad to hear about the passing of pastor of Andrew Steck from Inland Hills. My heart goes out to the staff, church, and Andrew's family. A few years earlier, Stockland had tweeted a quote by Wilson, a true leader is not mentioned by how many times they succeeded, but failed and decided to get back up again. Well, uh, I think that the answers are coming in their own words. The young pastor's plural death has shaken evangelical Christian leaders, said Ed Spector, executive director of the Billy Graham Center at Wheaton College in Illinois, who had spoken many times with Wilson about mental illness advocacy. Many pastors, he said, hide their own mental illness because they feel their congregations won't listen to someone who is struggling. Pastors are supposed to provide help, not need help. And so we go on because we're going to still see it's always blaming the church, blaming the congregation, blaming the doctrine, blaming Christianity. Blame, this is a blaming spirit. And it's always looking to discredit Jesus Christ. See, there are so many, these are those kind of um, psycho-emotional tactics that we don't emphasize as anti-Christ strategies. Because people are going to say, well, if Jesus can't help you, my God, I ain't got nothing. Well, I mean, if somebody like him, Megan Terrence, he can't, who didn't find help? If the people didn't get it, then I mean, I don't have a hope. This is a, I'm telling you, this is an anti-Christ strategy to take out God's church, to breed insecurity and to breed doubt and unbelief in God's people so that they feel that if this person fails, it's because God is a failure. You see, a lot of pastors believe that. And they believe that because, first of all, they were in a seat they should have never been in. Because you have to have a particular fortitude. You have to have, because God built every minister with a particular fortitude for the weight that they will be. And pastors are not weight-bearing loads or load-bearing supports or pillars for the kingdom. 
Now, I'm, I'm saying it, but you know what? I've been known to be what I am right now. You know, when you live as long as I have and people have acted the way they've acted, and trust me, I've had many a time for, for me to sit there and say, you know what, why am I here? I've had it. I've lived it. But I'm not the I'm, I, They can't say you're the one that life works for, that things work for, that works for. You can't say that. Because that's not how it's been for me. It's been scrapping every day. But when you set your mind on the things that are above, and not on the things of the earth. When you set your mind on Jesus Christ instead of your mind on its dysfunction. See, all of those years and decades of, of Christian counselors who are pulling their information from secularity, that pulls their information from Eastern religion, is where we got. Right here. Yoga, and I bet you you research this, and I bet you all of that is in this guy's background. I bet you it is. Eastern religion, Eastern thought, Eastern mythology. I'm telling you because why is that a big deal? Because those nations, religions are all about death. They're all about death, suicide. I mean, I'm talking about their at the root. Their their paganism is about death. Paganism is about getting you out of the planet and out of your body before Jesus Christ can redeem your soul. And if he redeems you, making sure, sure that your soul is not transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's Bible. And see, these people, Bible was optional. Scripture, optional. The Bible's were from. Scripture's optional. And, and the revelation and disclosures of God's spirit considered irrelevant and antiquated. See, these are, these are kinds of situations that make you wonder if they were not involved in, well, is the church valid there for today? Suicide comes from paganism. I don't care what anybody tells you, that's where it comes from. It comes from pagan religions who tell you about an afterlife, who tell you about that holler, who tell you that death is only when you're sleeping, who gives you all of that, that idiotic philosophy that soothes your emotional moments but breathes in you the ultimate solution that is leaving the planet to stop your pain because you've been told that death is a wonderful thing. It is not. It is not. And the Holy Ghost told me that one day. I was struggling with probably the, the, the church that fell or the building that fell or being put out and not having a place to go. I mean, I had a real divided thing going on there. And so I was doing he And I said, God, I don't even know why. He said, Paula, you need to know death is not what you think it is. And that's when he let me know we had pagan and, and, and Eastern ways and, and, and ideas about death. He said, death is not what you think. The death leaving your body leaves your soul exposed to whatever that realm decides to do. If you're born again and you belong to Jesus Christ, your soul is sealed by your new creation spirit. God comes to get you. Angels come to get you. God's angels. And usually, if you are a serious uh, Christian, God sends Jesus. Jesus comes to get Because Jesus comes to get Christians. Why? How do I know that? Stephen's being stoned. Who is he looking at? Jesus. 
Isn't that interesting? Hmm. The Lord Jesus will come to get you, and before he comes for you, when you're nearing your death, he prepares you for exiting your body and entering his life. So he prepares you. And you cannot tell me that God prepares you to do his job for him. No, this young man was troubled, and I'm sorry to hear that, but I noticed that a lot of these people commit suicide are the 30-something, are young folks. Not all, but far too many of them are young, which means at at that age, you've lived all you can tolerate of life. There's something wrong with that. At 30, you've lived all that you can tolerate of life. No, he was under pressure that he shouldn't have had. He was said, this is a judgment that put all of these young people in power, all of these youth in, in, in waiting position just because they're talent. And then sucking their talent until they no longer have the capacity to rebound from the stressful situations, the blows that happen. That's what this is, a, to me, that's what this is about. We'll discuss this when we get, um, when we get, Prophet Ma here. But one of the things that I decree and declare, the church will, the, these, these Christian leaders who have failed, their subordinates are going to stop saying it's the church's problem. Everything, this is all satanic. Everything is always the church's problem. It's the church. I'm hurt because of the church. I'm, I'm sick because of the church. I'm tired because of the church. I'm divorced because of the church. I'm, my kids are unhappy because of the church. Are you kidding me? You must have really misrepresented church for nothing in your life to thrive when God says it's a prosperous institution. You mishandled your position. You did that. And we need to stop this ecclesiastical blame system. Blame it on the church. Blame it on the church. Blame it on the firm. Blame it on the congregation. You took a job saying that you could do it. You took a position saying, I can do this. You said that. Am I right or not? So my question is, pastoral suicide, does God approve or inspire it? So Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. Why is he approving and inspiring suicide among his leaders? And we don't ever hear about the people who do it. Because they're not leaders. They're not noteworthy. Because, you know, if it's at the head, you know it's running down the bottom. And so this guy, this kid, 30 years old, 30. I'm like, are you kidding? You spent half of that time in school. More than half of that time in school. So you only live somewhere around 8 to 10 years of life, and you've got all of this wisdom, all of this responsibility. No, this isn't the church problem. This is their pastor's problem. Because you shouldn't have been enamored with you. You should not have put them in a vulnerable position, putting them in a place where they did not have enough knowledge, enough equipment, or enough uh, uh, of, of, of wisdom to know how to deal with their stress and whatnot. Instead, you let them fall under the stress doctrine that all pastors have. This is, no, this is not the church, because the church didn't put that kid in leadership. The church, that, that church's leadership did. So y'all need to suck it up and say, you know what? We need to go to the table and revisit some things and rethink some things. Just because somebody is head smart doesn't mean that they are so wise. And you've been using head smart to take the place of soul wisdom. 
So here it is. Now look at us. Suicide is a growing public health crisis and the second leading cause of death for people ages 20 to 34, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. In 2017, more than 47,000 people died by suicide, a rate of about one every 11 minutes. Now, what is happening with, with this age group? They're, hallelujah, Joshua died. And they're raised up a generation that did not know the Lord. The elders didn't pass on the truth about God. Let me tell you, when you read Deuteronomy 29, and I read it because I know we love Deuteronomy 28, don't we? We blessed going in and we blessed coming out. Ain't any instructions of mine. But there's a 29 in there. Yeah, I know. A lot of y'all are like, oh, but you know, that's just so hard. Yeah, well, you know what? Fighting for life is hard. I have watched Matt fight for life. I have watched grasshoppers fight to not die. I have watched critics fight to not die. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm telling you that everything God has fights for life. So don't tell me it's Jesus Christ. You, I've watched dogs, little puppies, can't even stand up, and they're going to fight till their last breath because some big dog is, is about watch the animal thing. Those people, those animals fight to the death. They fight to the death, and I mean until they have their last breath. Now, how could the animal kingdom know that God spends the life and humans don't? Hmm. But see, we've got all of these deaf angels in the church now. You've got deaf doctrine, and you've got all of this worldliness and all of this secularity and all of this fleshliness, and Satan has no interest in you living or living well. It does not benefit him that you thrive in God's life. And if he can take out mega churches, if he can take out mega populations, trust me, he's shrinking the church. But this is a satanic attack, and I don't mean satanic because, oh, this guy, he just got taken over by a devil. I'm saying this is a satanic regime. For this thief comes but for to still kill and destroy. The scriptures are still true. And you know why they're true? Because God cannot change, Satan cannot change, humans cannot change. So we got all of this inflexible, changeless players. God has to write the scriptures. Depression is going to happen. Until he takes out the devil, people are going to be facing this. And so he said, but I've come that you may have life. So what is happening to ages 10 to 34? Culture. Do you know what the age of 10 to 34 culture is? Does anybody want to know? Gone. The death culture. The rage. These are the people who grew up under the death culture. And when you research it, they call it lead a funerary spirit. So these 10 to 34, because we're not going to blame the church. We're going to put blame where it is. We're going to find blame where it belongs. And that is on the leaders that did not better vet these young people and the devil that seduced these leaders into thinking that youth is the way to go, sucking the life out of them. God says when youth reign over you, it's a sign of his curse. So this whole fascination with youth guarantees that he said, and the reason he said it is because the youth have no vision. 
Someone who says that in Job 33 and 34, he says, you know, I thought the elders would have wisdom, but y'all don't have it. There, that is why Senator Miss Senior, not Junior. And they'll tell you when they got a junior senator. So what is that? This, look at the last one, Dungeons and Dragons, piercing, uh, tattooing, indiscriminate sex, down with religion, down with, with institutionalized religion. Okay? Look at that. And that's what is happening. Because say, well, I would have to say, what is the 10 to 34? That's what it is, isn't it? Is that not what we had? You know, your kids didn't have to go to church. They should be open-minded, search out everything. And you, because you treated these souls as if you had nurtured them to be strong and to be discriminate. So you treated them that way. School did, you know, sex education in school, condoms in school, the drug culture. Are you kidding me? And these kids bore the brunt of it. 10 to 34. So when their soul was being developed and nurtured, it was being developed and nurtured to die. So I'm going to talk about mental health for just a moment, um, God's perspective, and then we're going to listen to Prophet Mar, who will talk about it. Now, this is a good article. It's called Another Young Pastor Advocating for Mental Health Die. So you are just, you're playing with these devils of death and doom. You playing with them, considering yourself, educating people and helping people that they've already taken over. So now, so with the sacrifice of God, really deal with mental health? Yes, he does. He calls it a work of the flesh, evil thoughts, murder. And he says it's, it's, it's literally the product of an impure and corrupt heart. Now, when you look in the scripture, Jesus had more than enough people who were crazy, you know, manic, whatever. He had them. I'm going somewhere with this, and then I'm going to turn it over. So he had, he had more than that. But then he had the madman from Gadara. Actually, there were two men. Only one stayed to thank him. And he said, this guy had many, many devils. He terrified people. God did not say he had a mental issue. He said his mental issues had a source and a cause. And so they said he terrified people. People couldn't get out the boat, didn't want to go by. And I mean, he, and, and he was, you know, he was having it. And he did that even with the guy that had the, with the pigs. Jesus has never said mental health or mental illness is an exemption from righteousness, holiness, or godliness. He never said it. It's nowhere in the scripture. Why? Because that mind is in the soul. And if the soul has sinned, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. So if you have not cleansed your soul, your soul will continue to putrefy your heart and your thoughts. See, I'm talking about creative technology. I'm not talking about pseudoscientific explanations of the unexplainable. Now that's what he said. So he said, when you... When you, when you refuse to obey him, he delivers you. This is what this young man happened to him. Isaiah 66, 4, he said, I will let your fears come back upon you. Oh, yeah. Is that what it says? Yeah. You can look it up in your Bible. He said that. He said, if you don't receive the knowledge of the truth, God will send you strong delusion. 
that you should believe the lie. And it said, the lie killeth, but the truth makes you alive. Did you, can you see it? You want to read it? Okay. I can't see it. That's why I'm like, Amen. It says, so uh, Isaiah 66, 4 says, so uh, will I choose their delusions and bring their fears upon them? Because when I called, no one answered. When I spoke, they did not hear. But they did evil before my eyes and showed that in which I do not delight. You're filled with eastern waves. You understand? When God, and, and a lot of times, this kid just inherited that because the leaders are the ones guilty of that. You chose the world. You chose marginalized Christianity. You chose, chose love and, and lewdness over righteousness and godliness. You, you disparaged holiness. You altered this man's construct. So I'm sorry you can say, and I've got, I can give you, I have a whole class on this. So you understand that if God, if, if God can let a devil come in and wreck your mind, you need to start, start serving the wrecker, the mind wrecker, and leave the Almighty alone. Because God said the deceived and the deceiver are mine. He said that, the deceived and the deceiver. He also said that what? He created the waster to destroy. See, all of these are God's powers. And I, we like to think that a God of love, he, he's only warm and fuzzy. He only has warm and fuzzy towers. <laughs> I'm going to turn it over to you because this is your field. And on all of these are articles. Look at this. Another, another young pastor. We got why pastors are committing suicide. Uh-huh. We're going to talk about that. I think we need to have a class. Okay. We're going to have a class. I think it bears understanding that this young man, obviously his mindset was someplace else. I was looking at his Facebook uh, July 1st, and another Facebook of his tape, his little boy making his first day at school. But this is one of his last posts. It says, my name is Jared Wilson. I'm a husband, father, pastor, and author. I also struggle with depression I've had for most of my life. We'll come back to that. And I'm not willing, I'm not telling you that this, this so that you can feel bad for me, but I'm telling you this so that people know that they're not alone and that God offers the strength and hope you need to keep going. And he says, we've all got things in life that we struggle with. We're all imperfect. We're all in need of the perfect thing. If you're not alone, it's okay to admit you're not okay. Admitting your struggle is the first step in finding healing. This was July 1st. So in essence for him, he professed something that Really, he wasn't experiencing. Mm-hmm. You know how the Bible tells us, you know, work out our fear with salvation, trembling. And Paul talked about not being a castaway. In the midst of his struggle, which we're not making light of. Not at all. By any means. Uh, the statistics are out there. Often when you see this from Q Bible, which is from Life uh, Lifeway, and their research is usually with Reformed or Evangelical Christians, so there's a, a large percentage of us. Have you ever done a, a Pew research? Have you, have you ever done a survey? But this is I have it. Uh, you know, so some of that doesn't reach the mainstream as much as we think. But the reality, they're saying 24% of pastors struggle with mental health issues or consider some form of relief, which often may be suicide for their struggles, and they feel isolated and alone. But yet, as Dr. Price just pointed out, he's 30 years old. I can't even remember 30 now. <laughs> I remember 30 was difficult because life on earth is. Yeah. And so in the situation for this young man, I 
was thinking about it in terms of the way his pastor responded. It sounds like a senior pastor because mm-hmm. he's an associate pastor. Mm-hmm. He's a vibrant, positive, and always serving and helping others. And I thought of Chief Apostle Bryce, <laughs> the way she deals with her leaders. Okay, being one of them, I recognize she can't even have a headache come across you. She don't see you and say, so what's going on? Mm-hmm. And take you in and assist you in that. So my question would be in terms of even the aid we had around him, in terms of those spiritual leaders that can see, mm-hmm. that sit in the office to be able to see in the soul, see what's going on, and administrate what he needed at the time. Yes, it's a powerful thing that he was standing to be an advocate, but it's hard to be an advocate of something you haven't made it very far past. Mm-hmm. And you notice one of his telltale signs, he said, I struggle with depression, not I struggled. Mm-hmm. So in essence, he was made a major advocate with a large mega ministry for something he himself had not made it across and did not have the backing to undergird him. And again, this was no light issue. He died leaving a young wife, two small boys, that he one of which he professed that he's going to change the world. And I've, min- I've ministered to many little kids whose parents took their lives, made it hard for them to change the world, as you think, because that leaves a soul tear for them. So in the midst of this, we're talking about even the fact that pastors are overseeing large congregations where you don't have to wait in the back and even look into the soul mm-hmm. of the people that you're dealing with, and let alone deal with what we talked about, the warfare, the endurance. Dr. Price pointed out how David, you go in the book of Psalms, I'm always having fun saying the book of Psalms because you get a chance to see how David went through the terrain of the hardness of the cruelty, mm-hmm. something we'll never experience. And yet in that, back to the word, back to the source, back to the maker, and we say this, not to say the statistics are off, they mm-hmm. are out there because America is becoming more emotional and we're looking for and more, pagan. more pagan. So we're doing things to help with the emotionalism, the, the mental health. One in every three, one in every four Americans are quote unquote have some mental health difficulties. That's the statistics out there. So if it's in America, then that means it enters into the church. Mm-hmm. And then we put a parameters around what we're going to do with it. And we're saying that pastors won't come because they don't have the capacity to come because we think they're perfect. There's a way, the spiritual warfare, expectations, and things that are needed of them. But we're also not looking at how we've looked away from the cure yes. for us as Christians. Now, I'm not going to tell a Buddha or someone who practices Middle Eastern religion that Christ is their answer. They've already made their decision. But within the church, there are things that we are to begin to consider that we've allowed Middle Eastern things to take away from us that is part of the cure. So for this young man, Dr. Price, you and I have talked about, mm-hmm. it could have been something chemical. Yeah. And so he could have needed some medication in the midst. And also the undergirding of others coming along to also steward him and see his soul and work on the soul and not how I feel, the experiences I'm having day to day. So what we're looking at is we're, we're living in a society that's telling us this is what's going on and this is what we're to buy into. And as Dr. Price says that as, when you turn around you hear a pastor has taken his life, one took his life last year, about the same age, in August, and I was saying that, well, what's the use? There's no answer in the church. But guess what? Yoga, mindfulness, meditation tells you, come on out, we've got an answer for you. That's a lot to make it work. But yet it's increasing. So we're putting ourselves, uh, we're blocking our hands. We're not releasing things in, in places in the church where we can deal with that. There are camp, there is counseling. What we call, we deal with the soul. We deal with the heart issues. Uh, inside of this book, Dr. Price is right, I do. She does. I do love it, Dada. Okay. I think every line is marked. Yeah. <laughs> 
in this area here talks about the broken heart damages the soul. People's emotional suffering starts in their heart, from which the Lord says comes the issues of life. We continue to try to deal with the brain and the mind, but bypass what's going on at the start of the heart. What are the core issues before we put someone in leadership and applaud what they can appear in their charisma to do for you without going into what's going in the heart? What's going in the soul? What happened to him as a little boy, 30 years old? This was going on a long time. If he says he's been struggling with it a very long time. We have teenagers now taking their lives, cutting because of emotional pain, which we know comes from the heart. These are the things we're not touching. These are the things we're not bringing forth because we're out of the word. Mm-hmm. And we're professing, if you just kind of stay in that dark room with the worship, Jesus is just going to come love you as you are. And part of it is there is not an entry of the word along with the things that are out there, mm-hmm. the maintenance, the diet, looking at what some nurtures, what's happening with your neurotransmitters, and what are you buying and feeding into? Most often we don't even realize in the midst of what we're taking in from television, from the media, those things are polluting that vessel as well. It is a disease, but it's a disease that's coming into the mind, entering into the soul, and really separating the idea that the maker of the soul can bring some solution. Well, I, that is, I mean, talk about thorough. That is amazing. And, and, and it's amazing for us to realize that, that God says it is a bitter thing for a nation to change its God. And I'm telling you, I don't care how much we keep Christ's name on the door, his cross is in light. I'm telling you that the church, by and large, has changed its God to that that will not profit and, that, and to that that will change us. Now, that's vital. That's how God feels about it. And you think that, well, you know, but a, a, a loving God, God is more than a loving God. As a matter of fact, if you knew God was loving, why didn't you trust him? This kid left his wife and his children. These kids have to grow up with that stigma all their days. And I know, you know, because I had a fight with a, 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 a prophet in town. That man put my name on his evil. Because he kept saying, yeah, but I just think that God is going to forgive us. How is he going to forgive you? Because suicide means you can't repent. And he said, without repentance, there's no remission of sin. So Buddha tells you that there's a glorious afterlife. Maybe, maybe, Allah, I don't know. Brahma tells you, Hinduism tells you that there's an afterlife. But these are the same gods that Jesus dethroned on the cross. So obviously they're not right. So I need you to understand that I don't care what anybody tells you. The Bible says that God himself, himself, holds complete sway over his people. So my question is, and I've asked this a dozen times to people, my question is, why didn't God stop it? If he was going to save them, why didn't he stop it? Why didn't he stop these people? Something in their theology, something in their doctrine, something in their philosophy, something in their beliefs and values told them to take their lives, and it didn't keep them. Because we know people attempted suicide. God got doors open, swinging open, phones ringing and down. Why didn't God do it? Because he attempted it way too many times, and God said, I'm tired. Now, see, Part of why these leaders can't help is because they're trying to be secular. They're trying to be secular and, and, and humanly analytical, diagnostic. Us, 
No. I tell my people walk in, one of these people here in the audience, you look bad. What's going on with you? Don't let me get in your face. I will tell you what you look like down the street, driving your car. So tell you your B12. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. And this thing, I'm going to slap your devil's up. And I next say to know, you cannot have my sheep. You cannot have my shepherds, and you cannot have my flock. I don't play with it. He comes to me at night. I never forget. A couple of years ago, I mean, it was a real attack. You, um, aren't you tired? Why do you want to be here? You know what I said? That's your problem. You bad. I ain't dying for you. Yeah. 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 Don't we know? We met him. 
There are people who want it. There's and nothing you can do that can talk them into living. We have had people terminally ill, and we've seen both. The ones who are like, it's not my day to die. I'm not going out. And I tell you what, the power of God, we've read the testimonies, been diagnosed stage four, then metastasized, and this, that, and they're back. Total healing. The doctors don't even know what happened. And we've seen the ones where I just don't want to fight. Mm-hmm. And these are people who usually spend their whole lives not fighting. You know, when I read what you, when I think about what you said about him in July, this kid wanted to feel bad. People, here's where I think mental health needs to go, and that is deal with people's addiction to feeling bad. Yeah. People want, there are people who just love that, that melancholy, that, that, that you know, sad song, make you feel bad. I, they love that. People love it. They love that feeling. And then the trickery that they have, how they deceive people into thinking that they are defeating it, and they're ruling over it. But God says, sin lies at your door, and you must rule over it. Everybody has a moment where you don't know why you're here, and, 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 and because of the spirit of death in this world, and now, and you brought it out, the spirit of death that is dominating media. You've got death movies. we got evil. we got exorcists. We've got, you know, zombies. Everything is death because this is a death culture, and you rid your children up in this culture so that they have an appetite for death because suicide is also an appetite for death. Dr. Price, I was in a bookstore the other night and walked in, and since we're rolling into October, of course, Halloween is whatever. It's a death, isn't it a death holiday? It is now, for sure. For sure. And uh, trying to make it into a death season. Mm-hmm. And so I walked in, and every book thing and special table down the entire middle, all the way to the back of the store, was about devils, demons, witches, incantations, all of it. Mm-hmm. And there's such an anointing on those works. And we really don't talk about the anointing that is on those that pulls you to pick them up. Mm-hmm. And see what's to look through them, to see through them. I'm an apostle. And you know, that devil talked to me. Well, I mean, you're an apostle and you should know about this. Oh, and yes. You should do whatever. I'm like, not today. Mm-hmm. And it's just, and it's so refined and so sophisticated and so in your face. From the little children's coloring books, mm-hmm. all the way up to the scholastic books, and recipe books, and decorating books, and every genre. Because you allowed them to disturb and upstage your Jesus and his faith. Because you know, Halloween is supposed to be Satan's birthday. Now, how we know, I have no idea. I'm going to say, at least we know Jesus had a birthday. Well, how did he get one? I'm still trying to figure that out. The the statement I'd like to make is because it's being looked at as another disease. And if we're uh, sitting here talking about someone dying out of state, for instance, long-term chronic lung disease, Mm -hmm. we would look at the aspects of how how they're treating them. Most people who are doing that are medications for a long period, only on some type of treatment, some type of rehab for that. And even when we're dealing with substance abuse, if we we sat here and talked about someone dying from that, we have a different mind about it, we think more broadly about it instead of suicide. When we go into suicide within the church, we'll just go, oh, okay. It's just so bad that we can't touch the aspects of, well, let's investigate what took place, what was going on with his life, or all the parameters put in place that could have been put in place like we do for chronic illnesses. 
Are we dealing with the fact that we put some, a young man to be in leadership to do something that he's not getting treated or hasn't been treated for? That he can still and that be he's
we have a couple of teachings that you want to grab a hold of. Uh, Soul Stalkers, Time to Be Healed, the 3D Soul Restoration, When God Goes Silent. If you're dealing with any of these things in your life, the depression, mental issues, the uh, suicidal thoughts and ideation, you know, grab a hold of some of these teachings, the comeback plans, becoming yes. your leaders. Grab a hold of teachings outside of your circle that's going to cause your soul to rise and fight for its right. Oh, I love that. I love it. Hey, we've come to the end. God bless you. Share, share, share. And then after that, share again. And then I'm going to ask you, share and sow, sow and share. Share and sow and sow and share. I'm going to see you on Sunday morning at 8 o'clock. We, we begin at the Congregation of the Mighty where God stands. <laughs> I'm just saying, 8 a.m. Sunday school, 11 a.m., 10 a.m., 10 a.m. Sunday service. Hey, join us. Share this with your friends. And also, let me just tell you, our success center has people that you can talk to. A prophet Mark is a licensed practical counselor. She's credentialed. She's experienced. She's been at this a long time. So you can let us know. You know, Dr. Price, I really want to talk about it. If you're struggling with suicide, if you're struggling with thoughts of, of, of depression, because I, well, that's all I was saying. But if you're struggling with that, then go to my website, drpaulaaprice.com, and say, I want Prophet Mark to schedule me for some sort of counsel or advice. We have a program. We don't just talk you out. We talk. We walk. We guide, we prescribe, because it's a complex situation that deserves complex, complex answers and remedies. God bless you. I love you very much. Have a great weekend.